Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey everyone, it's Fashan, the co-founder of Dope Black Woman, and I am back with another one of my episodes where I have conversations about a range of topics that are to do with self-improvement. So it could be anything from getting over imposter syndrome to mental health, nutrition, literally anything goes. So if you have any ideas that you think I should be talking about or would like to hear on the podcast, then feel free to message us at Dope Black Woman on all social media. So this episode is all about money. I realise that when it comes to managing money and having tips and all of that stuff, I'm pretty confident in my ability to do that and to help others. But then when it comes to speaking openly about salaries and how much big purchases of mine may have cost, I tend to shy away and just keep it a bit more hush-hush. So I wanted to have a conversation and look at what money mindset is, how it shows up, and just have an honest conversation about money, really. So this week, I am joined by Natalie Scott, who is not only a dope black woman, but is a money mindset coach too. Hi guys. Hi Natalie, how are you? Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> I'm very well, thank you, and yourself? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I feel like I've seen your Instagram page and I'm sure there'll be lots of nuggets and gems dropped throughout this chat. Um, but something we always ask all of our guests, the matter of the topic, the matter of the conversation, we always start the chat by saying, what makes you a dope black woman? Oh, I love that question. Um, I think for me, what makes me a dope black woman is because I'm authentically me. I'm very much myself. Um, When most people are going towards the left, I'm going towards the right. Um, I like to stand up from a crowd and everything I do, I do with intention. I love that. I love that. Especially about authenticity, because I feel like at Dope Black Women, we definitely encourage more black women and those who identify as non-binary to show up as their true authentic selves. But out of interest then, how do you manage or navigate trying to be authentic in an industry that some would definitely consider saturated? Because I see tons of gurus and financial advisors online. I think for me, as you know, with this field, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of coaches. I think since the coronavirus and the um, pandemic, a lot of people have come out to coach people. There's a lot of gurus, there's a lot of mentors, everything. And I think what that makes me stand out is that what makes anyone stand out really is that there's only one of you so there could be 10 people doing the same thing as me right but there's going to be someone out there that wants to hear what I've got to say because of how I talk because of how I deliver the message they can resonate with that and that's what keeps me going in the line of my work and I think also what I do I tell it how it is you know I don't like to go around round and round in circles I'm very direct and some people like that approach and some people don't some people don't like it but they need it and they know that they need it so therefore they come to me for my services and another thing that I do I'm not scared to talk about my own experiences because that's how I started it. it was based on my experiences of what I've gone through and I'm happy to share that I'm happy to share the pros the cons the ups and the downs and then people are like, oh my gosh she's just a normal person like us she's she's I'm not like a super human being I've been through it and that's the reason why I'm able to do this work 
I think that's really important actually, because I think when it comes to the black community, I feel like, well, in my experience anyway, I definitely see a lot of people who are either working class or ridiculously rich. And I don't really see those who are in between as much. And I remember being on Twitter and there was these girls and they'll get in backlash for being sent to private school. And then, then the other one was getting backlash for um, getting help towards a deposit for a property. And I was just so confused because I was like, surely the plan is not to stay working class. Like surely mm. you want to do better and strive to do better and then exactly influence that on future generations. A hundred percent. And that's what growth is all about. I feel like these things need to be normalised. For instance, your parents being able to give you a bit of money towards a deposit, that should be normalised. Why should it be, oh, my parents never had that, I never had that, so now my kids are not going to have that. Everyone talks about wanting to give their child a better life. They want to give their children stuff that they didn't have. But when they talk about that, it's always material. How about give them some money so therefore when they turn 18, they're not in debt? Like... and I think that's important. And that's part of the work I do. Although, obviously, I work with millennials I, and I work predominantly with anyone. I'm a black woman. So, again, that's who my direct audience is, even whether I like it or not. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I know your bio says to educate, elevate and empower millennials and Gen Z to save and banish limiting beliefs. But for you then, where does this specific passion come from? One, to educate people about finance and two, millennials in particular. Well, I focus on millennials simply because I am one. And I always feel like you should always focus on an area that you know. So a lot of people who are my age and who are younger than me and a little bit older because I'm right in the middle, um, they go through similar experiences. Some of them are yet to go through certain experiences. And it's like I've made loads of mistakes. So I always want to capture people before they make a mistake and I can just help them. Because if I knew what I knew now back then, I'd probably be a lot further. So that's the reason why I tackle millennials predominantly and Gen Z's because they're coming right under they're right behind us and I've got loads of family members who are Gen Z's and I talk to them until I'm blue in the face (laughs) about these things that are important some of them get it straight away and some of them it's going to take them a bit longer so they're probably going to end up in a situation where five years down the line wishing they listened to Natalie but you know as long as I'm putting that message out there then you know someone's going to catch on to it and that's the reason why I love working with those two groups specifically I love it But I think it's really important because I've got a relative that I feel like I'm constantly trying to support in terms of their financial goals and helping them make better decisions. At 18, I made a lot of positive choices when it came to money, but now I'm older, I've realised there was like loads more I could have made. So I kind of want to equip them with those tools, but also at the same time respect that they're young, so they're on a journey and that will come with mistakes. So I definitely relate to what you were saying about speaking to you as blue in the face, because I think what motivates me is knowing that there were times where they were challenging for me, there were times where they were hard. And you know, that has an impact on you mentally as well. And it's like, I don't want to see someone I care about or a relative in that same position that I was in. And I guess the earlier you start it, the better in the long run, because then you develop a habit. 100%. That's what it's all about. And I think with myself, I'm a bit of an action taker. So when I meet new people and they're doing something or they've got something, I'm like, how how do you do what you do? I want to know. I'm a sponge. And I think that's really important. And I understand not everyone is like that. And for me, I find it frustrating because I feel like if a lot of people were just like get up and go, they've been told the information and they act on it, they'd be a lot further. But with some people, you have to constantly either keep telling them or just let them fall on their face. 
which sounds a bit insensitive but you know I feel like I can only talk so much and I just I, I just want the best for everybody especially those in my own household and in my family you want the best for them and yeah I mean this work can be challenging when sometimes you do feel like your words are falling on deaf ears yeah it's a bit but, I mean the message still stands yeah it is it is it is and that's why I thought you know what I've been talking about money for so long I'm going to go into the world of coaching before coaching I was mentoring um going around in schools colleges universities and just talking about fashion because I have a fashion background and then I slowly started talking about finance and brought the two together and then long and behold, fashion fell off and I was just constantly talking about finance and it was great talking to these young people. But obviously I feel like in the field that I'm in, which is predominantly service-based and, you know, people pay for my services, I feel like you have to put your money where your mouth is these days because a lot of people will keep taking your free information and not do anything with it. But when you put a price on something, I think people, you know, they kind of straighten up their posture and be like okay, okay I've, I've paid for this I now need to learn and listen so then yeah that's why I've stopped giving out free information in regards to money mindset I mean I, I mean all the information you want for free is on my um, Instagram but like, I ran a poll recently about just investing like, how many people have invest mm-hmm. and most of the women said no whereas all the men said yes and the reason was I don't understand I don't know what to do oh but if um, Harrods was having a sale you know how to find Harrods online and buy the bag that you want oh, oh stop it that's and that's what I deal with all the time. You got influencers that talk about oh coach bag twenty percent off and people will find a way to sell it out. But when we're talking about stuff that's gonna bring you wealth in the future, oh I don't understand it, it's too hard. You haven't even done a Google search. <laughs> you know what I mean? So people like that, I'm just like, oh, you know what, I can't give you free information anymore. If you really want it and you're serious, book in a one to one. Because I just can't be bothered. I can't. It's too much. I think that's a good analogy. And I think a lot of people will either feel triggered by it or be able to relate to it. Because I feel like when it comes to investment, well, for me anyway, growing up, it wasn't a conversation I heard a lot. Like people in my family talking about property, like that conversation was normal. The idea of getting on the property ladder or home ownership, ownership, that felt achievable and realistic. But when it came to investing, I don't really remember having or hearing those conversations. But I went on a friendship date last year and we spoke about investments and I left feeling really inspired mm-hmm. and I downloaded all the apps, I emailed who I needed to email, did all of that, did all of yes. this. And I really have not done much since then. And that was literally like nearly a year ago. So I think you're right. Like there are resources online and I and other people can be doing more to be proactive. Definitely. Because the information is out there. And was your friend male or female? So he was a guy and he was basically telling me a story about listening to a conversation at work whereby his colleagues were explaining that it's somewhat ineffective to just save and not invest. And this is how the rich stay rich. So essentially, if you save, let's say, £100 in 2021, next year, you think it's going to be worth £100, but it's not because of things like inflation. So it might only be worth like £95. Yes, see. And when you consider bigger figures, like it's actually a massive gap. So I thought to myself, like, I find it really easy to save and I make sure I do this. But there's still so much more that I could be doing. 100%. Well, it's how the rich everyday people build wealth because I say the same thing. I don't really have a savings account. And I want to make the audience aware is that before you invest, you need to make sure you've got cash savings. You need to make sure you've got, you know, your healthy emergency fund of about three to six months of your expenses. These are things that you need to have in place before you start investing. Because what you don't want to do, because when I say talk about investing, I mean investing as in long term. So what you don't want to do is put money into the stock market and be like, oh, but I need that 
next year or I need that in three years time or I need it next month I've put too much in because I know how a lot of people be putting money in their savings account and at the end of the month they're dipping and taking it back out with investing you can't do that because it just doesn't make sense you're not going to build upon it so make sure you have those things in, in place first before you even think about investing and investing as your friend probably told you it's not that difficult and I think what makes it difficult is social media in the height of um 2020 you had people doing these meme stocks and you had people day trading and all of that I'm not saying it's crap because it's not but if you're a new investor you've never invested before that could probably be like oh my gosh investing seems like a whole minefield when it doesn't have to be there's pa- there's a thing called passive investing and there's a thing called active investing and I like an easy life, so give me the passive life. And I think that's what people need to understand to differentiate between the two and be like, it's not that hard. But just do research on it. It's really not that difficult. I speak to people all the time about investing and it's not hard. But to take it back to what you said about family and how you grew up in um, where rent, uh, sorry, owning property was normal. Uh, being a landlord, landlady was normal. Very similar to my upbringing. So I was told for a long time, you know, to to buy a property or at least have an investment property so that's what I did I thought okay cool this is cool but I wished I was told about other vehicles of building wealth because investing in the stock market is definitely one of them and on the flip of that as well though I was told about property I was also always told about cars like my family love a nice car they love a good car they love a German car and I was kind of you know blinded by that because my dad loves cars and I kind of a bit of a tomboy growing up and I love cars too so even though I was good at saving very good saver um and obviously bought a property a rental property out of London I wanted a nice car didn't I and my dad's always been you know when you have a vehicle make sure you buy cash 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 you know, never have a finance, always do a cash. And that's what I did. And I think the most I've ever spent in cash for a vehicle was like £4,000, which today's that's not a lot of money, right? And as I got older and listening to other people, I wanted something else. I wanted something better. I wanted a Mercedes. That's what I wanted. And I went down that road and I got myself a nice Mercedes, exact one I wanted, everything. And it was a finance car. And I thought, after maybe a year or two of having this vehicle, I was like, what the hell are you doing? why do you have this car or do I love it I was like why do you have this car what's the reason for it what are you getting from it right a car is a car it's just going to take it from A to B and the reason why I tap into Gen Z's especially is because a lot of my cousins they want a nice car now oh I'm thinking of getting a Mercedes you know I'm like why what's your reason to get it you've got a nice little VV Polo why do you want a Mercedes what's the reason for it because I've gotten rid of my Mercedes now but I was very smart with how I did it because I paid a very small settlement fee figure sorry and I sold it at a profit so it made sense for me I wouldn't do it again but it made sense so I'm okay it could have gone horribly wrong so when I talk to the younger generation that want all these nice vehicles I'm like what's your reason it's for social media it's to impress their friends like you're spending what my PCP was very cheap and I didn't pay for it I had assets paying for that so I was good but these young people that are getting getting their (laughs) first jobs after uni they want these really nice vehicles and they're spending, I don't know, maybe £500 max a month on these cars that could be going into a savings account. It makes no sense. Do you want to be living at your parents' house forever? And you're, and you're, and you're a boy? Especially, I, I come from a Caribbean household, so it's like we always say boy charge, like, you know, get your money and get a nice place and, and move on. Women, we can stay at home a bit longer, whatever. But it's like, what are you doing? It's always like you're slowing it all down because you want to look good you want to have a nice car and drive it it's expensive yeah you might be able to afford the payments on the car but you've got insurance 
to even to go into this conversation, I, I will move on swiftly, but I'm just letting people know the dangers of financing vehicles that you think you can afford until they tell you how much your insurance is, how much it is to upkeep the car, the maintenance. It's not cheap. I had everything sorted. I had my sinking fund. I was ready, but a lot of these young people are not prepared. They just see the figure. Oh, I can afford that a month because I live at home. It's like, come on guys, switch it. Mindset shift. Exactly. And they don't consider things like rainy day funds. Like my brother recently passed and the first thing he spoke to me about was getting a car. And I was like, look, save for a car, save for your insurance and save for any costs or damages for any unexpected mishaps and then get the car. So I said, look, even if you get a car that's worth £2,000, that doesn't have expenses part, that Mm -hmm. that doesn't require expensive parts, so don't even think get damaged, you still don't know what your pockets may be like if unfortunately your car was to get broken into or you needed a new tyre or anything like Mm. that. So should you happen to fall into any situation where you've got to pay unexpected fees you're covered and you'll never have to worry about it you've got friends who yes are like you are 18 and are are driving the latest bmw but they are friends whose parents bought their bought them their cars and that's fine nothing's wrong with that but like Mm -hmm. your parents aren't Mm -hmm. buying your cars so stop comparing your 18 year old salary to someone's parents do you get what i mean like i definitely felt the pressure for him especially being a guy and like this idea mm. of having a nice car because i can tell you so many times where men have thought they were the bee's knees because they had a nice car by dangling their keys in my face like as if that meant to woo me exactly. over or something like exactly. i don't know what the shiny logo they think it does for them but it does nothing for me like i remember there was a guy who tried to make me feel a way that i was driving a clio and he was driving a bmw and later down the line his car broke and he couldn't afford the part and i told that story to my brother and i said look you don't want to be that guy who has the nice car but you can't even upkeep it i think as you get older you realize what impresses you and what not like when you're dating people because i see it all the time on social media these women talking about oh i need a rich guy i need a guy that has all these things but if the guy doesn't know how to hold upkeep and household he's not the man for you just because if someone drives a nice car it means nothing it means nothing about their personality because they drive a nice car. I attract guys that have businesses. I attract guys that have got really great businesses and they drive, I don't know, some something reliable and is probably not German. And that to me is much more attractive than you trying to upkeep and keep up with your friends who haven't got nothing going on for themselves but a nice car. I feel like a lot of people talk about, you know, wanting to ha- earn high amounts, but they actually don't know how to manage the amount or what they'll do with it. Like, I Which is why they'll never get like it. My age, <laughs> 25, they earn 60K, but you literally have no idea because they're in so much debt because they've been trying to do lifestyle for the gram. And like, when people say, oh, I want a guy who earns lots of money, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'd love to be a guy who has money. One, because of the flexibility that comes with it. And two, because typically people in high paying roles have a certain level of ambition that got them there in the first place. So there's a common ground in that area. And of course, I know that isn't always the case, but that's just in my experience, typically it is. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to consider people's money mindset and money management like okay cool they earn 60k for example and perhaps they don't invest still okay but do they save do they donate to charity how much is spent on buying designer garments to show off to their friends or fancy chains like people don't realize just how much money and people's attitudes towards it can actually play a huge part in relationships and actually be a root of a lot of issues no and money mindset you know it's like the foundation of everything because your money mindset is how you react with money how you treat it how you engage with it and how you talk about it right so it's like for me being a money mindset coach most guys if I meet them they'll know what I do 
because I try not to lead with it, but I don't know what I do. And I try not to lead with my achievements and all this, because it's not an interview, right? You're getting to know someone. But with me, I tell everybody, and I tell people, when you're dating someone, you need to know if you're financially yoked with them. And what I mean by that, I, I was dating somebody and we were not financially yoked because he was in debt. And I was like, oh, I can't move forward with someone who's in that kind of debt. Because I, when you say these numbers, I'm expecting you, have that in, you should have that in savings. But when it's in reverse, it's like, okay, well, how long is it going to take it to clear it? And all these things come up in my head. And I feel like as women, when we date, we shouldn't be scared to ask the important questions or the hard questions that people like to label it. I don't think it's hard. I think it's important. But when did you ask that? Like, I can't imagine being in Vapiano's for a little cheeky pasta <laughs> munching on my vegetable lasagna and being like, do you have debt? And how'd you get into debt? And how are you currently trying to tackle it? No, it didn't even happen like that. I didn't, as much as I can be, you know what, as much as I can be a direct person in business, people are people, right? So, you know, human behavior, I'm not gonna like come out with it, but because he knew what I did, conversations always go into what I do and, oh, that's really cool. And I noticed he would ask me a lot of questions that clients would ask me. So I was like, oh, what's your situation? (laughs) I was like, what's your situation? And then he told me, and it was very transparent and I appreciated his honesty. Yeah. And then I really wanted to know the number. I just wanted to know the number because I thought now we're getting there. I might as well know what the figure is. Um, and when he said it, I was like, mm. it was like 16K. Okay, wow. And I was a bit like, okay. And to some people that may not be a lot, people are probably listening like, okay, it was only 16K. No, 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 no. How do you? You know what? I do think I would have responded in the same way, but I also think that some mm. things are circumstantial. So like if someone told me they had 16K 100%. because someone but passed this away and it got passed on to them, I'd be like, okay, cool, fair enough. But what are you doing now to get rid of that debt? But if it's because you were consistently gambling to fund a life you did it. image gambling with your mates on the block, it's very different. Do you know what I mean? Basically, lifestyle, lifestyle. I was just like, and you know with me, ladies, I'm going to give you a tip right now. When you're on a date with someone and you want to talk about money, but you don't want to like, you know, go in straight with a question, but you're having a great conversation. You know, I always ask people to be a bit fun. Like, oh, what would you say your biggest financial mistake is? That might not sound like... For me, that's not a scary question if we're talking about money. And I'm not, that's me trying to find out some information, but not be too nosy because then that's the floor's open for you. And that's when it came out when I asked that question. And I think his biggest financial, um, what's it called? Biggest financial mistake was leasing a car, was leasing a car. And I was thinking, I was doing the math in my head. I, I did the math, how old you are, the fact that you live at home. So how is that your biggest financial mistake? I've leased a car. It weren't my biggest financial mistake. I don't have many, too many of those. So I was just thinking, how is that your biggest financial mistake? It just doesn't make sense. And then when he went into it about, you know, he got it and he was just trying to live above his means and like basically stunt without saying those words. And I was like, okay. And then he had to give the car back. I was like, cool. So you're giving the car back. So my thing is this, you don't owe anything because you're giving the car back. And obviously he didn't want to go too much into it. And I didn't want to pry too much, but I think a lot of like, you know, putting things on credit cards and it just amassed and amassed and amassed. And I was just a bit like, this shit tells And I said, how long ago was this? Two years ago. That is quite recent in my opinion. So I'm just, I'm think, and I, he's a great guy, great guy, lovely guy, ticks all the boxes apart from the money side. And I was like, this is a big thing for me because money's a big thing in relationships. You see how marriages end in divorce because of finances. And I just thought, 
the fact that you're giving me this information now, I thank you for it because as much as I like you, it can't work. It can't run. It just cannot run. And at that point, when he told me this, that that's the point where I started to get the rap sheet out and let him know what I'm about because I want you to make the decision now. Sometimes I'd like to leave that in their hands. If I, he knows I've tapped out, he needs to know I've tapped out. So when I start reading off what I've got going on and now you've got my, you've got things that are taking money out of your pocket. I've got things going on that's putting money in my pocket. So when I started to kind of talk about what, I, what I'm about, he realised and he probably realised, mm, I need to leave this woman alone. And then we didn't speak. We didn't speak after our second date. We can say he ghosted me. I'm happy to say that. He ghosted me. Um, didn't hear from him. And I was like, you know what? Oh, girl, he wasn't going to hear from you anyway. So it is fine. Yeah, exactly. And I was planning to like let him down gently when he next contacted me. I didn't want to just contact him and be like, oh, you know what? Because he knew. He just knew. And I'm happy for that. And I wish him the best. And we've got mutual friends. So let him do his thing. If I see him about it, it's all love. But what I just want to say is that I don't think as women we should settle. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you've got great things going on for you, amazing. But you want someone who's just on your page as well, if not a couple pages ahead. That's what I like. So I won't settle. And it does come from money mindset. Cause it's like, what did you see growing up from your parents? Did you see your parents being spenders? My parents were savers. My dad was a saver. A little bit of a Scrooge, if you ask me. And I kind of adopted that. I adopted the fact that he anything he wanted, he got because he saved for it or he budgeted for it. And that made me a great saver. When my dad started doing property, I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I look up to my dad a lot and I followed in his steps. But then there's a time where you go from a pivotal change where you're like, okay, my dad still does mm. this, does that. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to buy fancy cars anymore. I'd rather invest the money that I would have spent on a car into my investment account each month. So you see the changes and then you bring your parents in because your parents don't know what investing is. They don't know what the stock market is. So you start investing for them. And that's what I do with my parents, like my dad, especially like that generation of where we always bought our gold and got our gold jewellery made. I said, Dad, do you know how much gold is on your neck and on your wrist? How many ounces that is? Do you know how much that actually is worth? And I said, okay, let's buy some gold. And it's just like educating your parents on it because they don't know. They don't have to use the internet, just about. So it's like when you know this, these new things, you have to pass that down to your parents and therefore you are now creating a new family money blueprint to pass them to your own children and their family so we've got to break the cycle if i was just all like listening to my dad and buying cars and living comfortably because i can afford to lease a vehicle and whatever that's what i'm going to pass on to my children so you've got to break the the curse somewhere and that's why i'm trying to tap into the millennials who are going or have who are having children like loads of my friends have kids and then i'm trying to tackle the ones just beneath me who are looking to start their first job and tell them not to opt out of their pension. It's just little things like that. And that's where I think I'm at such a sweet spot where I'm able, and I'm so happy that I'm in this position where I'm able to like literally change lives, to be honest. And it's amazing. So we've spoken about money mindset quite a bit. And I know that there's two kind of categories that people tend to fall into. But do you mind explaining what they are and how they show up? Because I feel like it's not until we have conversations like this that people can actually reflect on their own attitudes towards money. No, for sure. So with mindset, there's two spectrums. You've got scarcity and then you've got abundance. So a scarcity mindset is where you have um, a lack of limiting belief. So you believe that you're either not deserving of money um, you feel like you're on a low income, you live paycheck to paycheck. People don't understand, but when you live paycheck to paycheck, that's a form of a scarcity money mindset because you don't know how to manage money and you, there's more month to money for you. 
So that's a scarcity mindset. Kind of seeing the glass is half empty. Oh, well, I live paycheck to paycheck. It's fine. I get by. It is what it is. And then you've got the opposite, which is, the, which is an abundance mindset. So it's all of those opposite things. So you see money as um, a tool for greatness. You see the glass is half full. Um, you're good at managing your money. You welcome more money. And, you know, you like talking about money openly. I'll be honest, with these two, there can be obviously extremes. You can be so abundant to the point where you feel like there's never going to be a rainy day, right? And then you could be so, <laughs> and you don't want to be that. And you want to be a realist. And you, obviously there's the other end of being scarcity is that, oh, you know, I'm just undeserving of, of everything because it spills from money mindset into other things, just how you feel about yourself. So how they show up in everyday life with most people is, again, the paycheck to paycheck thing, which we don't talk about enough. Like a lot of people, as soon as they get paid, they get excited. They want to spend. And then, you know, a week after payday, they're living on beans on toast or something because they haven't budgeted and that's why I always say have a spending plan people don't like the word budget so I say have a spending plan you know what's coming in we all know what's coming in but most time no one knows what's coming out if you ask people oh what's your expenses for the month they can't give you a number they don't know and that's scary oh my gosh I was speaking to someone the other day <laughs> and they needed to help with their finances and this person had no idea what their outgoings were and I was so confused because like I can tell you how much I earn to the penny to the penny because I've got a financial wow. plan for the year and then that has sections for each month and I just feel like it's really important to be open and honest with ourselves about what our money looks like because in my experience it's only it's only beneficial like a financial plan for me made me feel a lot better about how much I earned and also made me feel less guilty about spending the money that I earned because because when you're young and on social media earning 40k will make you feel broke as hell and I, I think that's so important as well, not to be daunt, not to find the number daunting either, because what happens is a lot of time when people celebrate, oh my God, I saved 10 grand this year, 15K this year, because I had a goal to save 10K by the end of the year. I saved that a couple months ago. It happened already. And again, it's like, yeah, I put that information out, but it's there to educate you. It's there to inspire you. It's not for me to gloat because I'm quite humble. And what the problem is, is people see the number 10K, 15K, that's too much. But you have to start somewhere and start small. Like, don't be put off by the big number. Start doing the steps. Because if you're saving something like £20 a week or £50 a month, whatever it is, and you're just doing it, you're automating it, i.e. it's automatically coming out. You've set up a standing order from your bank to make a direct deposit into, I don't know, your Monzo pot or your Starling space, whatever. You, you're doing it. So therefore, you don't have to worry about it. And it's the act of paying yourself first. I always say this because what happens is, depending on your tax bracket, you're going to either get tax 20%, 40 or 45, right? So for me, if the tax man is taking that and you know how much is coming in after, why can't you pay yourself something? Because if you're just going to work to pay bills, the roof over your head, the clothes on your back, the food in your stomach, and maybe one holiday a year if you're lucky. So to me, to me that's not living. You must have financial goals. I go to work to fund my lifestyle. That's why everyone goes to work. They go to work to fund something. And if you're just funding to exist, then it's a very sad life. And I feel like that's why we talk about, when you talk about your brother, like, yeah, you need an emergency fund. You need a sinking fund. Like for me, I had an emergency fund, which is fully stocked. I had a sinking fund when I had my car. Don't need that right now because I've, I've sold my car. Um, I have a holiday fund because a girl likes to go out on holiday. I don't, this country don't give me nothing. So I need to get out. <laughs> you, need, you need your holiday fund. I also have an investment fund. You have to have it. And if you're obviously saving for a home, then you know you have your house fund. 
Like there's all, and, you, and your retirement fund, like there's all these things that you should have. And these are all forms of paying yourself first. Because some people are like, I don't understand what you mean. Do you mean just savings? I mean, all those things I've just reeled out. Like if you've got a goal, if you're funding something, you have to pay yourself first. A lot of people, they pay themselves at the end of the month or they wait until they've paid all their household bills and then they pay themselves first. I'm like, why can't you just treat yourself like a bill? Yeah, and I do think having multiple accounts help a lot as well. 100%. I don't use Monzo myself, but I know lots of people do and there's lots of benefits to, you know, the pots that they offer and things like that. But on Barclays, you can name your accounts. So I have like, like eight different accounts, I think. I've got one called Money After Spend, oh, one called Car Fund, one called Holiday Time. Oh, that's good. But yeah, no, I do think having one called Investment would be really useful as well. But for me, I get so excited mm-hmm. when the money automatically goes each month. But I just feel like when it comes to money, there's still a lot of work to do to normalise conversations. Like I was speaking to my friend the other day and she was like, like literally this week actually, and she was like, by November, I want to have 10K. And for me, I couldn't quite fathom how with my pockets that I'd be able, I'd be able to attain that. But her saying that inspired me a lot and it motivated me for my own goals. And like the next day I messaged her and I was like, bro, you saying that I really believe you that you're going to do it. And it's motivated me for things that I want to achieve not financially, but in general before the end of the year. And then we had like a vision board session before Love Island and we wrote, wrote all our targets down on Canva, printed them off downloaded them put them on our phone and stuff and for me now it just feels so much more realistic and achievable and she was even like to me look even if your goal isn't 10k if you aim for something higher and you don't get it you're still probably going to have more than you would have had if you had set a lower target i just feel like it is really important for us to try and be more transparent around our financial goals and our conversations because like the example i just gave it does have a positive impact on other people but I wanted to ask you, like, in your experience, how do you think we can normalise these conversations? Well, this is the thing. So I have the same experiences. So I do the whole vision board. I'm looking at my vision board right now as I speak to you. And it's got so many different things on it. And I think it's important to visualise, especially if you're a visual person. So with friends, all your friends are going to be different. You know your friends better than anyone else. So you know there's certain friends that will openly talk about anything. And then you know there's some that are a bit quiet. So I'm one of those friends that will openly talk about anything. So for me... I thought to myself, I have friends around me that complain about money quite a bit. And I was like, hmm. They're like, oh, they wish they could earn more money. They're struggling to save as much, etc." So I thought to myself, okay, I know how much I'm earning. And I probably am not earning the most in my friendship group. But again, similar to yourself, I've got a lot going on because I'm just good at saving. So I've, I've, I've mastered quite a few achievements, right? So I thought, okay, let me talk to my friend about this. So I just had an open conversation and I could tell she just wanted to talk to me about her her job and how much she earned, but she wasn't saying how much she earned. So for me, it was hard to kind of help her without knowing how much she earned. So I thought, you know what, Natalie? I just told her how much I earned. And as soon as I told her how much I earned, she was like, oh, Oh, I didn't know you earned. I didn't know you earned that much or that li- or that little. Where however it came out, I didn't know that's how much you earned. Cause like you've got this, you've got that, and I said, "How much do you earn?" I think she earned about maybe five k more than me or something. And I said, "Look at that." I said, "It's all about your mindset, isn't it?" And why was it so hard for you to tell me? And I think it's because she felt she didn't earn enough. So if she told me how much she earned, she might think I look down on her because of what I do, which I don't. I was like, because for me, a number doesn't impress me. How much you earn <laughs> doesn't impress me. How much is in your savings accounts? And yet, 
it's irrelevant because it's not how much you earn, it's how much you keep at the end of the year. Like if you, oh, you're on 40K, you're 50K. So how much you got in your bank account at the end of the year? That's what impresses me. So um, we had a conversation, it sparked it. And I thought, okay, I've done that with one thing, I could do it with the next. So now I openly tell my friends how much I earn. I openly tell them because they need to understand it doesn't matter how much you earn, it's how much you keep, it's what you do with it. Everyone knows I'm always doing something to do with money. I'm always finding a way to make my money work for me. And recently... It's, it's, this is the first time I've said this out loud on any platform. I just handed in my um, resignation to where I work last week. Handed it in. I'm in a good job. I've been in fashion for like 10 years. I love what I do, but I love this more. And I thought people are like, oh my God, you're mad. You're mad. You're leaving your job. Like, that's such a great career. You're going to leave it to do money coaching. Listen, I know my source and I know my ability. And I know that if I give anything 110, I'm going to get that back. So that's the thing with me. Money doesn't worry me. And I think that's because over the years, I've strengthened my money mindset. There's no lack. Lack, that that word is not in my vocabulary. It's like for me, and because my friends see that, they see that Natalie's so confident, she just gets some of it. That's how I'm able to have these conversations with them. Because they're like, oh, Natalie will be cool. Like Natalie, now Natalie has no income, which I, which I do. But it's not as much as my paycheck. Like your nine to five is going to bring you in the most money simply because that's where you spend most of your time. So that's that tells me already science, logic. Okay, wherever I spend the most time is where I'm going to get the greater return. So I need to leave that full-time job because yeah, it pays me and I love it, but this is my passion and I want to make this a success. So it's just having those conversations with your friends. I think it's interesting because most people, including myself, would call me extremely transparent. But when it comes to money, I feel like quite uncomfortable because I've just convinced myself well, I don't know if I've convinced myself, I do genuinely believe it, but I just feel like it's nobody's business. And for the most part, it like, it just isn't. But I feel like when it comes to my friends or like talking to people that I'm close to, I do wish it was something I could speak about more freely. So like, for example, I have a friend who got a promotion and she was talking to me about it and how good it was. And obviously when you get a promotion, one great side of it is your career development and the career opportunities, but then also it's the more money that comes with it. And like, that just wasn't something that came, that came up. I didn't think anything of the time. It's only now we're having this conversation that I'm reflecting on it, reflecting on it, because I know that if it was the other way around, I would probably be the same too. But like, why do you think people like myself and others struggle to be open and transparent with money? Because you're not used to doing it. You've never had to. And I feel like, also the conversations at home, like think about your upbringing at home. Was money talking about spoken about openly yeah my mum spoke to me about money all the time and even till this day she still talks to me about her financial wins and how much she charges and all of that but I think outside of my mum I'm not vulnerable with those conversations Mm -hmm. maybe that's what it is because you know what it could be although your friends you know some friends are like family it's not family right so with your mum it's like that it's that safe spot where you can openly talk about money she openly talks to money talks about money to you that's the thing your friends they may talk about um oh percentages right but they're not giving you the cold hard like money whereas your mum does so therefore you can have that you can have that conversation whereas with your friends yeah do you know what it's like a safe space because she's being vulnerable with me in the same area really isn't it yeah 100% whereas if you start being vulnerable to your friends talking about how much you earn you don't know how what reaction you're going to get although I think it'll be positive because they're already halfway there if they're talking about percentages but because you're unsure about how they react you're like, oh, maybe I, I shouldn't talk about it. Or if you talk about it, you don't want to come across like you're gloating because you just don't know. Even though they're talking about percentages, we don't know what it started on. But I feel like there is a stigma in certain career goals. Like say that you work in retail and that's, oh, you're a manager. You're a retail manager. And people look at you like, oh, 
and they're already doing up numbers in their head like what's the maximum they can earn and that's the thing like people get judged by what how much they earn and that's a stigma that I want to change because again as I said it's not about how much you earn it's what you keep I know people that are on a lot less than I am but their savings account and their investment accounts are a lot healthier than mine because they started younger and it it just shows that well, how much you earn doesn't mean nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It shouldn't account to who you are as a person. It shouldn't make you feel invaluable as a person because it's just a number, but it's what you do with it. And I think that's what scares a lot of people off. I have people coming to me, oh, I don't earn enough to do this. I don't earn enough to do that. I'm like, who told you that? Who told you that? And again, it's just a stigma of just starting slow. Like, you know, they say the tortoise wins the race at the end. So start slow. All these people that are the hair and they're running around buying up Chanel and, I don't know, taking pe- pictures in other people's clothes, I don't know. And it's like, it's, it's not real. And I think that's what it is. We're living our life, we're watching other people thinking, oh my gosh, it must look like everyone on, online is on in like another pa- ta- pa- tax bracket. When you look online, that's what you, that's what you think, but most of them aren't. But it's just, they give you that. Anyone could do it. Listen, I know I mentioned it already, but I do feel like when you're on Twitter sometimes, like if you're not yeah. on a thousand K, then you're not, you're not a nobody. Like you can't have an opinion. Do you know what I mean? Like, but obviously we've spoken about money quite a bit from money mindset to speaking openly of our friends. What's something you wish your younger self knew? Oh my gosh. I would tell my younger self to start sooner. Start sooner and be aggressive with it. Because... If I knew what I knew now then, I would have been a lot further. And you know, we always look at the past and be like, oh, what if, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Well, hey-ho, we can't go back there. So that's why I'd encourage everybody, as soon as you're earning, what, 16, you're working, start saving. Don't be um, excited to, oh, let me spend, 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 spend. No, save as much as you can while you can. Because your early years and your later years will thank you for it. And no tax-free years. When I was 16, I was making peas, oh my gosh, like, yes. serious money because I worked so much. But when I was 16, I had this thing <laughs> where if I had £400 in my account, I was broke. So £400 was zero. So if I had 350 £200, I was basically in an overdraft. Wow. So I felt like at the time, yeah. I was really good at money management. And, you know, I had, I had control of things. But actually, I wasn't saving. I was just spending. And I would just make sure I wouldn't spend till I hit the point of 400. But like looking back now, as much as that discipline definitely had a ripple effect and has paid off, I feel like I could have been doing so much more mm-hmm. by saving the money and not just spending it. I'm sure there's people listening now who probably want to get their money right or know someone who needs to get their money right. And you mentioned your services at the start. So how do you support people when it comes to money money mindset? And what are your social media platforms? No, definitely. So you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook under Natalie Scott Empowers. If you look on my Instagram, you'll see that I have one-to-one consultations and I have a money mindset course as well, where I go through everything. It's an eight-week intense course to get you from scarcity to abundance. That's a really good course that I do. And just on my website, you'll see so many different resources as well. So helping you get out of... um, debt, leveling up your credit score and then obviously leveling up your finances for your children if I've got anyone here that has kids because we've got to start we just going back to your tweet right we need to get people in a place where at 18 at 21 they can have some money to get started and how do we do that so yeah everything could be found on my website or on my Instagram thanks for listening guys don't forget to like share and subscribe and to tell a friend to tell a friend about the podcast 
feel free to follow us on Instagram at DopeBlackWoman1 and Twitter and Facebook at DopeBlackWoman. Until then, stay all the way black, blackly black, blacktastic. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.